our scripture this lesson, this morning, excuse me, is taken from Ezekiel chapter 37. I'll be reading verses 1 through 14. Hear with me the words of the Lord. The Lord took hold of me, and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. And he led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor, and they were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out. And then he asked me, Son of man, can these bones become living people again? O sovereign Lord, I replied, you alone know the answer to that. And then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say to them, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I'm going to put breath into you and make you live again. And I will put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. And I will put breath into you and you will come to life. And then you will know that I am the Lord. So I spoke this message just as he told me. And suddenly, as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. And the bones of each body came together and they attached themselves as complete skeletons. And then as I watched, muscles and flesh, they formed over the bones, and then skin formed to cover their bodies, but they still had no breath in them. And then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to the winds, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath from the four winds, breathe into these dead bodies so that they may live again. And so I spoke the message as he commanded me. And the breath came into their bodies, and they all came to life, and they stood up on their feet, a great army. And then he said to me, Son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. They are saying, we have become old, dry bones, and all hope is gone. Our nation is finished. Therefore prophesy to them and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. O my people, I will open your graves of exile and cause you to rise again, and then I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And when this happens, O my people, you will know that I am the Lord, and I will put my spirit in you, and you will live again and return home to your own land, and then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done what I said. Yes, the Lord has spoken. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In J.R.R. Tolkien's saga, Lord of the Rings, there is a scene where the character Aragorn gives some dead soldiers who had deserted the king a chance to regain their honor. 
and to be restored to peace. But in order to do so, they must help him defend the city of kings, which is under attack by the evil powers. Aragorn encounters these dead soldiers in a cave, which he enters through a, a small crevice in the mountain, and it's dark, and it's damp. It's not a very pleasant place. And as Aragorn steps over a pile of dry bones heaped up against the walls of the cave, it appears they're nothing but skeleton bones. But suddenly, these creatures, they begin to shake and they begin to rattle. They're not really alive. And Aragorn offers them a chance to redeem themselves by making good on their pledge to defend good against evil and to be a part of a community that will restore the kingdom to its rightful place. Well, in our scripture lesson for today, the prophet Ezekiel has a very similar experience. It's a grim scene that Ezekiel witnesses in a vision or a dream. He sees himself set down uh, by the hand of God in Death Valley itself, a valley of dry bones. And then in the company of God, Ezekiel, he walks among the bones, and everywhere he turns, he faces death. And we can understand why Ezekiel would have perhaps wanted to, to run away from that scene, unable to, to face the horror before him. And standing among these acres and acres of bones, Ezekiel's brain burns with the question that seems to have come from God, Son of man, can these bones live? Well, in order to understand this passage, we, we have to back up a, a little bit. The once proud Hebrew nation has been humbled. They've been besieged by a hostile foreign power, and their leading citizens have been taken into exile into Babylon and Jerusalem, their beloved city, the holy city, the city that they had believed to be invincible and unshakable had been toppled. And the walls were in ruins, and so were the people's dreams. They were rootless. They were lifeless. They were separated from their homeland. They were cut off from the things that had made their lives to be so full of hope and promise. And they were in exile. They were lonely, and they were isolated. Their hopes and their dreams had become like shriveled plants on dry and dusty ground. They were not where they wanted to be or where they believed they were supposed to be. And their sadness ran long, and it ran deep, and they lived in sorrow that, that ran down deep into their bones. They were unable to worship. They were unable, as the psalmist wrote, to sing the Lord's song in a foreign land. So they would cry out to God in anguish and in pain. Our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. We're cut off completely. They were disconnected from God. They had lost hope. They needed to be redeemed. Well, it's interesting to note that when the Hebrews were dragged into exile into Babylon, they, they really lived fairly comfortable lives. Uh, Jeremiah says that they were 
free to marry, to build homes, to plant crops, to exchange goods. Some of them became quite uh, wealthy. They were free to assemble, to elect their own leaders, and to worship. Life was actually comfortable for many of them, if not most of them. In fact, eventually things got so cozy for the exiles that even when the crisis was over, they were encouraged to, uh, when they were encouraged to return to Jerusalem, most of them didn't want to return. The old dream of living in God's holy city and in God's presence had died well, when you think about it, we're sometimes not unlike the Babylonian exiles. I mean, has there ever been a time in your life when it's been interrupted by something difficult or so tragic that your dreams were dashed, your hope for the future seemed to be lost uh, forever? What do we do to numb the pain when we find ourselves facing trials and tribulations. Well, we, we try to make life more comfortable, don't we? We work hard. Uh, we go shopping. We collect a lot of things. We buy houses. We plant our roots. We live quietly. We try to make our personal lives as nice and as comfortable as we can. However, no matter how nicely we, we decorate it, Babylon is still not our home. And the day we deaden our longing for God is the day that we spiritually die. And then the rest of us begins to die slowly from the inside out, buried under the, the rubble of all the devices, all the things that uh, we have used to try to cope with our difficult circumstances. Oftentimes, and this is unfortunate, I think, when people's lives have been interrupted by a great tragedy or tribulation, uh, they actually stop coming to worship. Some people quit coming to church altogether when they're in a crisis. Perhaps the reason that people often stop worshiping is that they have lost their vision of God and to stand in worship alongside those who are singing praises to the Lord just creates too much of a contradiction for them. And it seems to be a tragic irony that in the times that we need to worship the most, we perhaps find it the most difficult. So this is the situation that existed when, when God transports Ezekiel back to the valley of dry bones. The people are dead, and God is sending Ezekiel on a mission of hope he takes him to the valley filled with dry bones, and he asks him, Son of man, can these bones live? And looking around at those skeletons, Ezekiel thinks long, and he thinks hard, and he says, Ah, Lord, you know the answer to this one. And then the Lord tells Ezekiel to start preaching to those bones. The Lord even gives him the message to preach. O oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Now, can you imagine how foolish this scene must have looked? The Lord's prophet standing in the middle of a pile of dead bones, telling them to not give up hope. You know what I would have done? 
I would have run. I would have got out of there. Get out of the way. If I was Ezekiel, I would have suggested to God that the Lord first bring those bones back to life, and then maybe, maybe I'd do a little preaching to them. If God did that, I'd maybe pull out my best sermon and a preach about see what God can do. That's what I do, but preach to a valley of dry bones, not me. I'd rather eat beets, and I hate beets. But that's not the way God works, is it? He calls us to believe without seeing. You know, the writer Hebrews wrote, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, for the conviction of things not seen. Paul wrote to the Romans, for in hope we've been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. Why does one hope for what he sees? But if we have hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we will wait eagerly for it. For you see, in God's economy, there is always room for hope. And it is hope that brings us back to life. Hope rises from our bones and chooses to believe in spite of how bad things are or may appear. Now, we're probably, or most of us are probably familiar with the story of the raising of Lazarus from the dead. If you recall, Jesus hears that his dear friend Lazarus is ill, but he delays the beginning of his journey for two days and does not arrive at the home of Lazarus until he's been dead for four days. And the one person who stands out in this story as a faithful and perceptive and person full of hope is Martha, Lazarus's sister. Martha is already an example of faith when she runs out of the house to meet Jesus as he journeys towards them, and her initial confession of faith is in Jesus' healing abilities. She says to him, Lord, if you had been there, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. That is, he would have healed him. But then she intimates that she may be ready to believe that even more is possible. She says to Jesus, even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Well, Jesus then says something very interesting and, and unexpected. And instead of explaining to Martha that he's going to raise her brother from the dead in just a few moments, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, they will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? See, rather than promising Martha a miracle, he invites her to trust him for new life. There's a big difference here. Instead of saying, I'm going to step in and I'm going to, to make everything okay, Jesus says, those who believe in me, they will live even though he dies. He promises that the dead will rise, but he doesn't predict just how. And how does Martha respond? She says, yes, 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 Lord, I believe I believe you are the Messiah. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you are the one coming into the world. 
And this is the same exact invitation that is extended to us today. Jesus says to us, in the vortex of all the hardships, all the trials, all the tribulations, all the crises, all the difficult circumstances that we often find ourselves in, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Do you believe that I am the resurrection? Do you believe that I am the one who conquers even death? Do you believe that I am leading you right now in so many ex unexpected ways from dying to rising? The Apostle Paul once told the believers in Rome that the one who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells within you. Folks, the church has always found its life not in what it sees today, but in the Spirit of God who raises dead hopes. The day our longing for God is dead is the day that we die spiritually. The day we lose our ability to envision a better tomorrow is the day that we deny that we believe in the resurrection. If we turn our back on tomorrow, we turn our back on hope. It is then that the human spirit begins to wither away. And so what are we to do? What do we do when we find ourselves in a position when we have virtually lost all hope for a better tomorrow? What do we do when we begin to believe that things will never, ever get any better? Well, Paul wrote that we should exult in our tribulations knowing that tribulations bring about perseverance, perseverance, proven character, proven character, hope, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit given to us. But Paul doesn't just leave it at that. He goes on to write, and not only this, but we also exalt in God through the Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received the reconciliation. In other words, we place our hope in a person, the person of Jesus Christ, and it's through him that we will be reconciled. It is he who is our anchor. It is him that we have the assurance of things hoped for. It's through him that we are born again to a living hope. It's him who gives us the hope of eternal life. He's Christ in you. He's Christ in me. He is the hope of glory. Ezekiel had a daunting task when God took him to that boneyard and he told him to preach to those skeletal remains. But preach he did. He said, Thus says the Lord, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. You who gave up hope, you who gave up dreaming that things would get better, you who believe that there's no better tomorrow, you who have settled for a comfortable routine life of work, of paying the bills, doing the laundry, mowing the yard, shopping for groceries, changing the oil in your car, and all the other quotidian things that make up your life. You who think your best years are behind you, you who think the Lord has forgotten all about your life. Ezekiel preached to those bones. 
And you know what happened next? While he was still in the middle of his sermon, there was a noise. It wasn't people whispering to one another. It wasn't paper being shuffled about. It wasn't a pencil being dropped on the floor. There wasn't a cell phone ringing. It wasn't people shifting in their seats ready for the worship service to conclude. All over that valley, all over that valley of dry bones, there was rattling, there was knocking, and there was clicking as the foot bones and the ankle bones and the shin bones and the leg bones and the hip bones, they began to snap into place, bone against bone, and then sinews appeared and muscles appeared and organs appeared and skin appeared and hair appeared. And Ezekiel said, to you we say, arise, arise from the heap of your discarded dreams. Arise to discover that the Holy Spirit is breathing life back into you. Arise to live with hope because God is not done with you. Ezekiel prophesied to them bones just as God commanded him. And the scripture says the breath of God came into them and they came to life and they stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. We're talking about rising from the dead. This past year, I've been listening to a, a lot to a gospel singer named Charity Gale good Pentecostal girl. The song's titled, You're Not Done. She sings, I know you're tired, I know you're weak, and all the fighting's gotten you down on your knees. You're desperate for change, you're desperate to know there's still a light, but child, lift up your eyes for your help draws nigh. It'll be all right if you still have breath in your lungs. If you still have breath in your lungs. If you still have breath in your lungs, you're not done. Have you lost hope? God hasn't lost hope in you. He hasn't lost hope in me. Not as long as we have breath in our lungs. We're not done. God's not done with us. He's not done with this church. Just like God used Ezekiel to call out to the people of Israel to arise, just like Jesus called out to his friend Lazarus to come forth out of the tomb, he calls to us today. He wants to unbind us from our grave clothes. He wants to free us from those worries and those anxieties and so many things that disturb us and, and keep us up at night and from living our lives to the fullest where our deepest hopes and dreams are they're not fully realized. He wants to put the pieces of our lives back together, but we have to believe in him. We have to put our trust in him. It is in Christ that we must set our hope I love that hymn that says, Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Jesus is the solid rock on which we stand. We are not people without hope. Our hope is in Christ. Can these bones live? The answer is yes, they can. 
come forth and live. Well, the invitation is more, this morning is the same as it is every Sabbath day. If there's someone here who has never professed Jesus as Savior and Lord of their lives, we invite you to do so today. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. So we invite you to come and do If you don't know how to do that, I'll share with you how you might do that. Perhaps there's someone here this morning that believes God is calling them to be a part of what God is doing in this church. Just had a couple this morning between services say they wanted to join our church. Perhaps there's others who want to come and be a part of what uh, God is, is doing here. We invite you to come and share that with us. Or maybe you have some other decision or, or something else that uh, you want to share. We'd be delighted to talk with you. But thank you for being here. And we especially uh, thank our guests that are with us uh, this morning. Hope that you'll come back and be with us. And I want to remind you at four o'clock, we're going to have a meeting here in the sanctuary. Ministry team will be leading that, be responding to questions and the comments that, that people have about our vision uh, be a conversation, so I hope that you'll come and be a part of that. So let's stand together as we uh, have our benediction. Oh God, we thank you for this time of worship and pray now that you might go with us as we depart from this place, that we would continue to open to you our minds, our mouths, our hearts, our hands, our arms to you and experience your presence wherever we are this, these coming days and weeks. And now may the Lord bless us and keep us, make his face to shine upon us and be gracious to us. May he lift up his countenance upon us and give us his peace. Amen.